Born in 92 on the block with the sharks. Come from a different cloth. Y'all would get ripped apart. You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark. We dropping nuggets like Carmelo went to Rucker Park. Now we eating from state to state. We scrape the plate. I put my eggs in a basket. Took a leap of faith. I took a chance. Now we grow and see the impact. Decoding success with special guests. Now let's bring Matt. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode number 200 here on the Decoding Success Podcast, and you are rocking with your host, Matt Labrie. First and foremost, the words that want to come out of my mouth right now for hitting this milestone are simply wow. We are absolutely in awe of all of the support, the likes, the comments, the feedback, the reviews, the sharing, the listening, the subscribing, all of that good stuff over the course of these 200 episodes. And we are beyond grateful here at Decoding Success. So thank you to each and every one of you that is tuned into this right now. Everyone that has tuned into episodes in the past, we are so, so grateful for it. We have many more episodes to come. Just throwing that out there as well. We are not stopping anytime soon. In the famous words of Leonardo DiCaprio, in Wolf of Wall Street. I'm not bleeping leaving. <laughs> now, with that being said, we are joined by our friend, TV personality, entrepreneur, entertainer, philanthropist, and mother, Dorinda Medley. You may know her from The Real Housewives of New York City, but she is best known for making it nice. She has always taken great pleasure in entertaining and decorating for the holidays and other special occasions at her home in the Berkshires, Bluestone Manor. She enjoys theater, art, travel, fashion, cooking, decorating, and the company of her friends and family, especially her daughter, Hannah. Now, with that being said, we are diving into an array of topics here with Dorinda today, and we are super excited to amplify to all of you her words, her experiences, her wisdom, and beyond. We're also talking about her new book, Make It Nice, which you're able to get in the show notes of this episode. And just one more quick little tidbit before jumping into this. You are more than welcome to join us this evening, New York City, September 1st, for our 200th episode celebration, which you can find in the show notes of this episode to secure your spot on the guest list. And now without further ado, we bring to you our friend, Dorinda Medley. Dorinda, welcome to the show. <laughs> Excited to have you. This is our 200th episode. So thank you for being our 200th guest and being a- What an honor. Yes, we are super excited to have you. I know that you have a new book out. We're going to dive into that in a little bit, but I'm curious. We've put out 200 episodes into the world. We've asked the same question on every single episode. That first question is, how do you personally define success? That's a good question, and I love that. And I'm, it's so funny because I'm just thinking about that the other day. I think success for me right now is having freedom. Mm. You know, I've got to tell you, there's something about being 56 years old, having, you know, lived the life I've lived, experienced the experience I have, raised a beautiful daughter, have sort of physical freedom, spiritual freedom, a little bit of financial freedom, and just to be able to really have ownership over your life. I think that for, particularly for me as a woman is an incredible thing. I love you know, the, And I love the fact too that, you know, I, if you talk to women 20 years ago, 56, you think, oh, we're winding down. I feel like I'm really in an era where it's just beginning because I kind of checked off the things that were important and I've done them well. Motherhood, you know, having two great husbands, lived a great life. Now I can really do me. I have a great freedom to just do me. I love that. There is a very common saying that life starts in your 50s. Is that what you're alluding to? I think it does because, you know, you shift a bit. For me, it's, you know, my focus has shifted a bit. It's shifted a bit. You know, I've always been sort of a 
I think it's because of the way I was raised, that the ethnic and, and all the women in my family were all givers and nurturers and doers. And how do we make it better? And how do we make it nice? And there's something about being a little selfish and really looking after yourself and doing the things that you want to do that's really brought out a creativeness and a power that I don't know if I really had before this. Right. And COVID nope. helped with that, believe it or not. Interesting. I'm curious. Yes. What would be your advice to a millennial like myself who wants to get everything done right fucking now? Like I'm 28. Everything needs to be done right now. That's the majority of our listeners. What's your advice there? Well, I think that's a problem because nothing is immediate. And usually things that are immediate aren't the most satisfying. Hmm. My whole thing, right, slow and steady wins the race. Um, you know, and everything that is worth obtaining is worth building. You know, it's so much more fun to climb a mountain slowly and look at all the different plateaus and take in what's around you, then run up quickly and get to the top and miss out on all the stuff that's going on on the side of the mountain, you know? And I, I just have found a lot of times, even during my times of struggle, were kind of my biggest growth periods. And I do think that this idea, and I do think you're right about millennials, it, it's this immediate satisfaction. But within that comes sort of a lot of disillusionment. Because mm -hmm. they want to attain it, then they get it and they don't know what to do with it. Interesting. I, I resonate with that for sure. I want to backtrack just a, bit, a minute. I also to think, just not to interrupt, but I also think millennials don't know. Besides freedom, another thing that I think I really enjoy is I enjoy alone time. I don't have to be out there. I don't have to be noticed. I don't have to be seen. I don't have to be engaged. And there's something beautiful about having that sense of peace. Like I really enjoy myself. Sometimes like, like I was thinking this weekend in the Berkshires, my daughter, Anna, said to me, I was like, what are you doing for Labor Day weekend? I said, I'm doing nothing. I've invited no one up and I am just going to chill out and enjoy my home and enjoy my parents and enjoy my property and enjoy my sleep and just look around and be in that place for three days. Yeah. I mean, alone time is phenomenal. I think personally, from what I've experienced from the conversations we've had on this show, um, you know, just from engaging with individuals over the course of 28 years, a lot of people avoid that alone time because they're scared to see what comes up when they are alone. I mean, I think that's a problem. And I, I've got to tell you something. I have girlfriends that are like that. And I, someone said to me, not too long ago, I just don't want to be lonely. And it really struck me as so bizarre because I'm like, I think people are probably their loneliness, loneliest in situations that are correct. I mean, I would rather be alone and happy than in a bad situation with, with someone that wasn't a good fit for me, that wasn't going to allow me to grow. And because a good partner is almost someone that, you know, you kind of were running in life and all of a sudden you look to the left and they're running with you. It should be seamless. And I think a lot of times, especially with a lot of my girlfriends, they're all about this vision of being, I don't want to be alone. But what does that really mean? Right. What does that really mean? I mean, you and I both probably know people that are in relationships that, as my mother always said, I love my mother since when at one point, if we all took our dirty lawn and we put it in the middle of the room, you'd probably walk away with your own. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, ju just thinking about it, I think if you can't embrace being alone, being in a relationship is going to be extremely unhealthy for you. Correct. And my most healthy relationships, actually both of them, even though I divorced Hannah's father, we always remained very close and have a bond. And he was such a huge help to me with the passing of my late husband. And we were always a family unit. We always had our eye on the ball there. 
I just think that it's important to be able to be great when you're together and great with your, your part. And Richard was so good about that. Richard had his own thing, but you know, we, but we really focused on our time together. We sorted it out. We had our date nights where we really made each other the most important thing. But then when we were together, I had my girlfriend, I had my hobbies, I had my things, you know, and I think that's very important is to always have a sense of self. Don't lose self. Absolutely. Two, I think, which is very important too, is, you know, we live in a world now where everything seems to be so great and everybody seems to have it so much better and everything seems to be, I just don't believe it. I think life is tough. My mother, again, not to keep quoting Diane, she said, you know, 90% of life is monotony. If you have 10%, that's joyful, fun, and smooth, you're doing good. Because the truth of the matter is, life is life. Right. It's life. Absolutely. I mean, I was just cleaning my bathroom before this, okay? I had to stop around. <laughs> I'm going to on the Gucci. <laughs> I was going to say. That's life. I was going to ask, are you cleaning in the Gucci? I had on a, my, my t-shirt. I'm like, oh my God, 10 minutes. So I quickly went on and slapped on the lipstick. But boy, oh boy, I got that bathroom cleaned. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, I want to touch on freedom. That's what you mentioned as your definition of success. How did you find yourself creating that in your life? Um, you know, it, t- it definitely took a while. And I think with each, each chapter in the book, you see that I, I grow a little bit more. I learn a little bit more about myself. I'd say, oops, that's not good. That, that, that burnt. I'm not going to touch that again. This was good. And I think you just so slowly build freedom is about having the confidence and having the intuition to know what is best for you. And also I've gotten much more comfortable with the word no. I don't feel, I used to be that person that says, oh my God, I can't come, you know, my grandmother died, my I broke my arm, you know, my dog died. I would come up with all these excuses and it'd be guilt-ridden. Now I just say, I can't, I don't want to come to me. I, it doesn't work for me. You know, I just did it for an appearance on Sunday. I was getting a sore throat on Saturday and I started getting all this guilt. I thought, I'm not doing that. I'm just going to call and say, I am too tired to go. I will not be my best self if I come. And I don't want to do that. And you know what? What are you going to do with that? respectable yeah. totally respect absolutely absolutely you mentioned the book let's dive into that make it nice firstly nice. You, you have to educate me where does make it nice come from what talk to me about it come on what you, you gotta shame to yourself <laughs> I, I'm, I'm doing this for our audience right now let me get the leave button here <laughs> i cooked i cleaned i decorated i made it nice that became iconic on that show, The Real Housewives in New York City. And, but I think it's more of a sentiment than it is a saying. Because, you know, you make it nice. It's, it's how you feel about the way you run your life, how you deal with people, how you run your homes. Um, you know, and it could be, I made it nice saying to people, I made it nice so you better re- appreciate it. Or I made it nice for you. And I cannot go anywhere in the world. And I mean the world without someone yelling it out to me. I think they have to have it on my gravestone. I made it nice, you know, cocktails at seven. Um, <laughs> because, and I do, I do try to run my life with the best foot forward and the, you know, making the best effort. And I love to host and I love to have people in my home and I love to have people around me and I love to cook. And I just like that whole feeling of, bringing people together and making them feel like they're important. They're important in my life. That's beautiful. Thanks for that. There you go. I love that. Now, what do you feel like would be something that people pick up on if they read this book that they might not have known about you? 
I think probably the one thing, the reoccurring thing from people is that, God, now it makes sense. Because I think when you're on a show, especially a reality show, you know, it's kind of like people see the frosty to the cake, but they don't see the cake. Right. I think now the book has sort of connected the dots. I don't think people really realize how much I moved all over the world and, you know, really a lot about Richard other than he was my husband. They didn't realize the journey I had to take with him to, you know, bring, put him, you know, bring him to heaven and just, you know, why I love hosting, why I love Booster Manor, how important my spirituality is to me, how important my family is. And it sort of kind of brings it all together and say, okay, now I get it. Now I get her. Now it makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, also too, you know, like we were saying before, to tie it back to millennials or just what the world's putting out there. You know, you go on reality TV and people love you, people hate you, people. There's, there's this idea of wanting to be perfect. Well, you see in the book, it wasn't always perfect for me. And I'm okay with that. You know, I'm okay to show my scars. I'm okay with each period and what happened and how I, how I got through it and how I fought the good fight. And I'm hoping that, you know, maybe someone will read it and say, uh, that resonates with me. Wow, I get that. Exactly. That's how people learn is through those scars, through those turbulent. That's how they resonate, at least. So I'm yeah. curious. I know that you talk about them in the book. What do you feel like has been the most turbulent time in your life that shaped you into the woman you are today? Well, I think there's been like, there's been a, a, a many, to tell you the truth. I think the first time I moved abroad and I was in Hong Kong and it was before like, um, tel- you know, cell phones or anything. And I never traveled because I had no money growing up. We, you know, the biggest trip we took was like in Connecticut. My mother would be like, wrap up the chef's Dakota. We're going to Wistick for the day. I mean, that was a big trip. Um, and just having to, you know, my husband was working 15 hours a day. It was early, early years, like 1989. And just really having to be halfway across the world with no family, with no friends. And to wake up in the morning and just venture out and try to make a life. And I really had to grow up, not only as far as trying to occupy my days and figure out my new life, but I was, you know, just then getting married to an investment baker. I was all of a sudden a grown up. Like the days of being flitting around Second Avenue and getting a manicure, pedicure were done. And I really grew up during that period of moving all over the world. And I definitely think what definitely, definitely was it was a hard stop for me was when Richard died. Like, and I really was not happy about that. I mean, I wasn't just sad about it. I was actually pissed off about it because I really thought I'd figured it out. Like, I really, I remember at one point when we opened up Bluestone Manor in 2010, I was thinking, God, this is great. Hands going to go to college next year and we're going to move up here and the house is just going to be that beautiful to be closer to the years and then we'll try to go London I had it all figured out right and boom it was gone mm-hmm. you know I, I got this person that I just loved so much and he's really I mean people say he's my best friend but he really was my best friend you know and I just felt so lucky and then I had to shift again um and it just it it, it really I had to dig very deep and I had to definitely return to my family to you know put that plant back in your soil and it was a big growing period for me. Right. What does that grieving process look like or, or loss in general, right? Because we're not taught to how to handle loss. I mean, there's a million not. things we're and never you know taught. And the of the matter is people aren't taught to talk about it. Yeah. You know, it's a, you know, the funny thing is getting divorced, you know, you're almost in this screwed up way celebrated. Like, oh my God, I'm going to set you up with people. Let's go out three guys. Right. You know, when you're, especially when you're a youngish widow, 
people don't know how to you don't how, how to approach you. They're like, oh my God. I remember once vividly, Richard, you know, died November 16th, and it was and the funny thing is there's so many people around. And then boom, after you bury him, it goes back to the life and you're like, what? Mm-hmm. You know, and you have to go back and look at their clothes and deal with all the minutiae and take their names off bills. And just everything is a reminder. I remember one day I opened up a drawer and there were reading glasses. I was like, that's fucked up. I mean, excuse my language. I don't mean to choose. So, no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> you know, I was like, what? You know, that's, yeah. you just, there's all these reminders constantly of, of the dead. And, you know, I remember I was walking down Park Avenue one day and this woman came up to me right after Thanksgiving. She said, how are you doing? And I remember just saying to myself, I'm down. I'm down with that question. I said, do you really want to know? Or are you just asking out of politeness? Mm-hmm. She was like, and she looked at me like, she didn't know what to do. I said, because I don't think you really want to know because I'm not doing great. I'm lonely. I'm scared. I'm sad. I feel all these emotions and I just don't know what to do with it. And it was really my mother that helped me, you know, guided me through that time. I remember my mom said to me one day, and I was just being like so negative. I'm like, it's not there. I can't believe it. You know, I, I miss it so much. I keep it through this period. She was like, you know what, Dorinda? If he came to you eight years ago and said, I'm going to be with you for eight years from beginning to end, you're going to, I'm going to love you. You're going to, I'm going to love your child. We're going to have a beautiful life. But then I have to leave. Would you take them? I said, Yes, she goes, well, that's what you got. So now let's focus on that. He's dead, you're not. So we can keep doing this, but the outcome's the same. He's dead. And I remember thinking, so you're gonna get up every day, wash your face and take a walk with me. And that's really how it started. Wow. Back to home, you know, back to home physically, back to home mentally, and really digging deep into my family values. And you know, what, what that, is so terrible becomes a blessing because you do value more people because people leave. Yeah. I often say to people, I, that, that experience you have when you walk by a graveyard, you're like, ooh, those people did make it. And you, one day right said, well, we're all going to be there. No one gets out of that one. Pretty much, right? We somehow think we're, we're beyond it. We're beyond death, right? But, you know, life is a, is a series of losses and we have to take it. You know, culturally, we are taught. It's so funny when you study like the ancient cultures and the older yeah, or even my grandparents, my great grandparents, grandparents, there was sort of a little bit more of an acceptance of both birth and death in, in almost right. a more harmonious way. Whereas I think this generation and even present day, we're a little bit more like immortal in, in this weird way. Do you think that's because the life expectancy and the lifespan of individuals has drastically increased versus historical times? Probably. And right. you know, there's so many ways. I mean, I, I'm a lot older than you, but I remember when I was little, if you heard the word cancer, they were basically dead. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, mother and pregnant, cancer. That was it, you know. Right. Now, you know, people can get through a lot. Look at what we just went through. I mean, we lost so many good people, but, you know, life moves on. Mm-hmm. It does. It does. It's tough. I, I appreciate the vulnerability as well, Dorinda. I definitely appreciate that. It's it's tough conversations, you know, so I appreciate that. Um, but if individuals pick up this book right now and they could only take one thing away from it, what would you want that one thing to be? You're stronger than you think you are. Hmm. Where does that come from? I think my family. Yeah. My, my, my spirituality. I Were you... 
I think that I, I really looked back at it and I kind of was like, I kind of like looked like that myself on the show. I'm like, you're really strong, girl. Like you can get a lot. <laughs> you know, I kind of was proud of myself for a moment. And, you know, you're stronger than you think you are. You'd be surprised yeah. how much you can actually take on. You'd be surprised how much you can get through. And you'd be surprised what's on the other side of, of anything in life. Mm, I love that. What's a question you wish more people would ask you? Um, I, what's a question I think a lot of people ask me just about everything, but probably that's a good question. What's a question I think people should ask me? It's selfish. So if you don't have anything off the top of the head, it's totally okay. I, mean, I think the question that I think something I could answer differently, I think something that people don't realize about me that I present myself so strong and able stuff is I'm very vulnerable. Okay. Very. Like people don't realize it. I just don't scream and yell about it. Like if I get hurt, I go right down under. I disappear. Right. And people wouldn't know that about me because I'm very strong and I stick up for myself, but it cuts deep. Where does that vulnerability come from? Um, probably because I'm extremely loyal okay. and I'm really committed. So when people don't, you know, let, when people let me down, like really breaks my heart. Mm. <laughs> No, which it makes sense. I mean, do you find... And I don't take on people lightly. Like, I don't have them friends. I know a lot of people do. I have a, you know, obviously a lot of people know who I am, but I really have a close, deep set of people that are in my life because they, I make them my family. Right. You know, and, and I consider them my family. So when that doesn't work out, I get very, like, I get vulnerable about it. Totally respectable. Uh, I'm curious, what's a piece of advice Dorinda received that she didn't want to hear but proved to be true? Um, probably from my mom again. Um, what's a piece of it? Oh, probably I would say that you can't do everything. Okay. Is that from my mom? I used to say, my mother used to say all the time, it's, you know, uh, it's, you're, it's, it's great to be able to do everything, but sometimes you're a, a jack of all trades and the master of nothing. Mm. And I'm a little bit of that. Like I put my hand in every single, you know, the, the, Little boy was trying to cover every and that's me. And then I just get tired and I say, I, I'm done. You know, and that whole dam falls down. Yeah. Is your mom your biggest influence? You've quoted her yes. numerous times. I love that. I call her blue and a girdle. Where does that come from in her life? Uh, you know, just free. I, I talk about in the book how there's this invisible stream from my great grandmother to my grandmother to my mother to me to Hannah. We have a very strong matriarchal uh, mm. line of women, very strong Italian women. Women, you know, they kind of let the men believe they were running the house, but we all knew who ran the house. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's so awesome. Um, last my question for you. Line, I always say my mother knew how to wear. I, I've never seen my mother wear a pair of pants, but she always looked beautiful when my father came home. It, like it was a thing. Like, I cut. I got to get dressed. Your father's going to know. Boy, oh boy, my father listened to my mother. It's I love that. I love that. <laughs> she wooed him with the with the dressing and the little makeup, and at the end of the day, she was commander in chief. That's amazing. I absolutely love that. Um, now, if you live to however long you want to live, you did everything you want. There you go. All right. So you make it to 150. You put out as many books as you want. Hop on as many podcasts, TV shows, whatever. You've done it all. You've done everything you want to do. But if you could only be remembered for one piece of advice, what would that be? kindness kindness what about kindness 
and being charitable and being aware of others. You know, I always say, I always say to Hannah, and I mean, Richard said one of the most amazing things to me once, and I think it's why his funeral uh, packed with people from all steps of life, from all, every, you could imagine the parking attendant, everybody was there. He said, everybody has a story to tell. Everybody, but it's up to you to stop and listen. Mm. Agreed. Because, you know, you, there's a, you know, the whole thing, I see you. You know, when you see people and you make time to see people, I think people forget that. Even anybody, you just take that moment to connect. It is a game changer. I think it's probably the best negotiating tool anybody could ever have. Because the minute you make a connection with someone, they'll listen to you more and they'll honor you more and they'll trust you more. You know, it's, I see it all the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. What does it take to be kind and to see people in that sense? I mean, it's really hard for people to listen these days. Everyone wants to be the one talking. So I'm curious, like, what what do you, what do you feel like? You just said, I think you got to listen and you have to be aware of their situation and be sensitive to the situations there. Right. Right. That's powerful. You know, you know, you you can't be, you know, that, that, that old poem, if you got to be able to sit with kings and queens and paupers too, you know what I mean? Mm. Because at the end of the day, we all, it's just, it's just luck where we are. I mean, you look what's going on in the world right now, and you just you get heartbroken about it. You look what's going on in Afghanistan, just all the different situations we have going on, soldiers dying, people being stranded, people fighting. That could be us. It's just the luck of the draw. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Dorinda, first and foremost, congratulations on the book. I appreciate you hopping on here for episode 200. I know. Wow, that was, that, was, that was like a test. Did I pass? You pass with flying colors. I mean, I could have kept this going, but I want to make sure that I, I, I keep your promptness. Your books are sold and the audio is on my, uh, is in my voice. Awesome. So you did the audible as well. That's very good. Cool. I, I also do late night phone calls. No, I'm kidding. You. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I'm going to make old school. I probably not appropriate <laughs> to say that anymore. I'm sure I'm going to be part of the cancel culture, but that's okay. I, I love it. I'm going to make sure that the link to get the book is in the show notes, uh, as well as socials, websites, all that good stuff. But just want to express my gratitude again. Congrats on the book, Dorenda. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Bye now. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, episode number 200 of the Decoding Success podcast with our friend Dorinda Medley. Make sure that you're checking her out on social. I'm sure a lot of you already are. You could do so in the show notes of this episode where you'll find all of her social handles actually hyperlinked. On top of that, you'll also find where you can grab the book. Grab yourself a copy. I was sent one. It is phenomenal. A lot of deep, inspirational, turbulent stories that are really quite remarkable. So I highly suggest checking that out. On top of that, if you want to join us in New York City this evening, September 1st, you are more than welcome to do so. We would love to host and have you. You could check that out in the show notes of this episode as well. And lastly, if this made an impact on you, or if any of the 200 episodes we've put out in this world have made an impact on you, sharing this one with your friends, family, on social, whatever the case may be, would mean the absolute world to us. So we love that. We love you. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.